0: Welcome to the truth in his heart. I am your host, Rob Lee. And today I'm in conversation with co-founder and creative director at Union Craft Brewing, a relaxed room featuring craft beer and rotating food trucks, plus free brewery tours every Saturday. It's located in Baltimore, so get familiar, folks. I'm interviewing John Zarevitz. Welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you, Rob. Thanks so much for having me.
0: Thanks for coming on. Thanks for making the time. Um, and yeah, I feel like a uh, long time coming, but we're here. We're here. We're we're ready to make this magic happen. So as I as I start off, I like to give the very kind of introductory sort of spiel. And um, let's before we get too deep. Let's 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 talk about um, some of your first experiences with with marketing, branding, creative direction, because, you know, I, I see some branding that's going on in the shirts and it looks like it's not intentional. Like I see the shirt that's, that's plumbing company, but I thought it was <laughs> a tour T-shirt at one point. I see the hat yeah. is on fire. So. So tell me about that. Tell me about yeah. some of that early, like uh, experience with marketing and branding, whether it be your from work or just brands that really resonated for you growing up.
1: So for me, um my interest actually started from concert posters okay. uh, i i was a huge music fan when i was really young and still am today and um some of my um first kind of uh visual media memories having sure. are having to do with um Vintage concert posters and seeing sort of the psychedelic artists from the from the 60s of the there's like these the big five artists uh, who did a lot of those vintage psychedelic posters. Um, I went on a family vacation to San Francisco with my parents and uh, we were in the we were in Haight-Ashbury. And uh, I stopped into a, a poster store and uh, it was some of that work that really sparked that for me. And I carried it with me for a long time and. Um, as I got a little bit older, I started collecting posters from the concerts that I went to. Mm-hmm. Um, and that collection started to grow more and more. And then I moved from concert posters to kind of more modern street artists and yeah. started collecting Shepard uh, you know, Obey and um, Banksy and 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 some artists like that. Um, and that really grew until uh, I had graduated from college, I was actually um, an English major with a with a concentration in creative writing um, and uh, had no idea what to do with that after I graduated. Um, and actually, my um, girlfriend, who is now my wife at the time, she was enrolled at MICA in the graphic design program. And I Sort of stood over her shoulder while she was going through that program and watched her work and watched her learn and absorbed so much from her um, that uh, I ended up pursuing graphic design myself. <laughs> um, and I found myself working um, really in a corporate role, uh, you know, sitting in a cubicle nine to five for a big financial corporation in the uh, in house art department. Um, just being basically a production designer, moving pixels around. But at the same time, it was such a valuable learning experience because I was learning about branding. I mean, they had a very tight brand, Mm -hmm. um, learning all the rules about branding and about how to use a logo and how to make sure your colors were exactly right and, um, keeping a brand tight. Um, and, and that's when I started to really think about branding, um, outside of, uh, of of the corporate world and starting to look at fashion brands and, Mm. um, and, and even how like the bands that I loved were marketing themselves and how they were, uh, reaching audiences by, you know, making all the, all the cool merch and, and, um, and around that same time I had begun homebrewing, um, (laughs) and. I had begun hanging out at Max's Tap House in Fells Point and meeting people in the local beer scene. And uh, it wasn't long before I was sort of combining those two interests by taking a close look at beer brands around the country. Um, and that was in the kind of early second wave of craft beer. And so there were all these new brands to look at. Um, and I sort of started to develop a little bit of a brand of my own in my head at the time. I mean, that was, <laughs> That was before I decided to put pen to paper and uh, really work on a, actually starting a brewery or my own brand. But um, there were definitely sort of the initial kernels uh, starting to go in my head.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, and, and thank thank you for sharing that. That's a it's it's kind of that thing where you're you're doing something, you're getting the experience and it's like, this is great, but this may not be serving me in the way that I ultimately want to, want to do it. And, you know, I've had that and I was kind of doing this, this job with a big, uh, with the Verizon at the time, it was in like uh, corporate marketing and I was doing that job purely to fund doing this activity, doing, uh-huh. do, doing, podcasting. And now I'm kind of growing that out. But those kernels that you, as you touched on, were kind of there of like what this could look like. And my, my girlfriend reminds me cause I got the whole best of Baltimore thing. And she was like, you know, when we first met, that was something you mentioned that you were interested in. And that was 10 years ago. Right. So, kind of getting that acknowledgement and, and getting to this point, and seeing all of the things that were baked in, whether it be from other roles, whether it be from just other opportunities, that is always something to learn. And just people that you're around, like um, she's she's an English major and a <laughs> and a writer as well, and background in data. So, you know, she'll she'll tell me, "So you know that doesn't make any sense, right?" <laughs> you know, from just from just being a writer, and yeah. it's it's really funny. Um, yeah.
1: Congrats on the best of Baltimore, by the way, and oh, uh, you. you know you definitely deserve it. And, you know, it really is interesting how all sorts of experiences in your life, you know, they may not seem super valuable at, you know, when you're when you're in the depths of them, when you're surrounded by them. But, um, you know, give it some time and look back and you'll really realize that those things uh, ha- were really huge growth opportunities and while I may have toiled away uh, in a cubicle for you know, six years to the point where I was like, what am I doing with all this time? Yeah. Um, I got to do something else. But without that experience, I wouldn't be here today. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, it, it gives you something. It, it gives you either like this this notion of work ethic. It informs you on kind of what environment you want to work in or when you've I've, I've had this conversation with chefs recently. When you're like the head honcho, what type of culture and environment that you want to have based on maybe ones that you've been in? You're like, I'm not going to do that or I'm going to take from this and apply it in this way. Right. Perfect illustration of it. Yeah. And, and we've, and we've seen a lot of stuff over the last couple of years with, you know, people just leaving environments, leaving, leaving jobs or what have you. So the culture of a place, the, the, the coolness, the energy, the, the things that are attached, the vibrancy that is attached to a place is, um, is very important. And I think that that's embedded with the people who are there and the people who come there, the people who work there and the people who come there. And, you know, I can say like, you know, going to uh union as many times as i've gone there over the last few years and it's it's a great spot it's a great environment i've gone there to see like live shows of have uh, the psycho killers there uh mm-hmm. because she, she you know she's a huge like talking she's like they're never getting back together however <laughs> right yeah. so so donald summer and again thank you again for uh, the invite to the the neon anniversary yeah. um and you know uh, femi Kuti was fire just fire
1: no uh, good. it's no good
0: so Let's talk about the mission a little bit, you know, of Union Craft Brewing and, you know, and how maybe that mission has helped in its longevity because that neon is 10 years. A decade is, there's there's places that aren't around for 10 months, let alone 10 years. So tell me about that mission and how it's uh, aided in that longevity.
1: You know, our, our mission has always been really kind of twofold. On the beer side, you kind of have to have a beer making philosophy and ours was always just about drinkability and balance. Um, And then there has to be a social element to it as well. And, um, you know, we're named union because we believe that beer can bring people together. And this, this stems from something that we learned early on when we were looking to open a brewery. Um, There were all these examples 15 years ago, 10 years ago, Uh, around the country of breweries opening up in parts of cities that needed needed a little bit of love that needed to be revived Um, and once those breweries gained a foothold in those parts of town communities developed neighborhoods developed people came businesses thrived um and uh and we just think beer is such a special beverage in that way a special product in that way um in that it's for everybody. It's it's not, you know, and and I'm not saying that other beverages aren't, but like, you know, the way wine has been perceived over the over the years. And look, wine, you can talk to Enrique <laughs> from the Wine Collective and he'll tell you that wine is for everybody and his goal is to make it um is is to make it, you know, a level playing field as far as wine goes. Yeah. Um but for a long time, it wasn't like that. You needed you needed access to it. You need to just to understand it. It was kind of like a you know, upper middle class beverage that you had a privilege to drink. But beer um, has been the everyman drink for thousands of years. Um, And uh, and, you know, we just wanted to be able to bring that to Baltimore um, and to always champion Baltimore as a great town um, and and to just make the city a, a more livable, fun place to be. Um, And so I think when you combine those sort of two sides uh, to the mission, um, I think you got something that's kind of built to last.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. And I'd be remiss if I, I didn't mention the beer a little bit, so i got to ask you. And I know it's probably like, you know, talking about, you know, it's my favorite kid or what have you, but I, I'll frame it differently. What, what is the most popular or most popular beers uh, there at Union? Um, please say Rompus Room. Please say Rompus Room. <laughs> uh, because that's my go-to. I'm, I'm Smoke wow. Daddy Rob. Smoke Daddy Rob. Nice. But, uh, <laughs> tell me about some of the more popular beers there. Like What are people going there and, and checking for? Because like, there's, there's a variety,
1: so, yeah, so there is a, there, we have a pretty uh, vast catalog of beers, um, either that we currently have or that we've made over the years, but I'm actually really proud to say that Duckpin pale ale is still our number one selling product. Um, and that was the, you know, first brand that I created, um, the first recipe that we ever worked on. Um, and, um, uh, and I'm just so happy that it's still like our bread and butter and that yeah. we're still selling more of it than anything else. Um, I think that we've over the years um, we we've learned to be pretty adaptable to the changing landscape of beer. Um, and now we're seeing a lot of people coming into our tap room to try new things that we're creating really often. Um, we have this small batch beer program um, called rough drafts and we're putting out new rough drafts, you know, recipes um, on tap in our tap room and people come back uh to continue to try those and then you know we have a lot of seasonals um we're always changing it up i love that you mentioned rumpus uh that that's sort of a deep cut i don't know i don't know when we're going to bring that one back but uh a smoked brown ale uh not something you get every day or that we can make every day but uh but definitely a cool one for sure
0: yeah yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's funny. It's, um, I, every time I order certain things, like I remember it was just one time where, you know, you got, you go there with friends. It's, 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 it's about that. It's going there with people that you want to have a drink with. It, it It's about sharing that it's a uh, very communal in that way. And, um, usually I'll go there with, with my girlfriend or what have you. And I just remember, you know, just sitting there when, when I learned that that beer existed, <laughs> I learned that Ruppers room existed and, I got into a place where she trusted trusts my choices. She's like, Yeah, just order me a drink. Nice. And so I just got that. She's like, What's the what's this smoky greatness? And yeah. and that's what we that's what we were drinking. And yeah. whenever we go back, it's like I'm gonna find something great, but I'm always gonna ask for that just to yeah, see if it's it. around. That's what I love is.
1: that. <laughs> You'll be the first to know if we bring it back.
0: <laughs> um So let's talk about your role a bit, Um, co-founder and creative director. What does, what do do your responsibilities entail? And I got a part two to that question, but what's some of your responsibilities and what does that look like on the maybe day to day or week to week, whatever your uh, cadence is?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So it's like, because I'm both co-founder and owner of the company, co-owner of the company Mm -hmm. and the creative director, um, I, I kind of have two jobs. And so one part of it is is, you know, being a part of the leadership of the company, uh, helping to direct its culture um and and uh and also sort of being you know, this is a weird term because I don't want to inflate myself, but being some sort of visionary for yeah. the future of the company. You know, somebody somebody has to be thinking about what's next and what the where we want the company to go. Um, and so I'm doing that often. Uh, and then the other hand is the day to day, which is the role of creative director. So um, I am basically the buck stops with me on all visual communications of the company. So all the branding that goes from the naming of the beer to the way the graphics look to the, the supporting copy for, for marketing um, across digital, across print. Um, that's my sweet spot. And, uh, and that's where I, I think I bring the most to the table. Um uh, so you know on a daily basis I could be doing anything from working on a press release to redesigning a can working with an illustrator um or you know coming up with the next merch design something like that you you have the fun job <laughs> <laughs> um so so with that and I and I
0: kind of had a, had a sense of it I've I may have done a little research but um let's talk about like Within that, like how do you define originality? Because I, I I'm hearing it where it's just like you're working with artists, you're working on the branding, you're working on the newsletters, all of these kind of creative things. And it's it's interesting to get a sense from people who work creatively and that's just where they're living and breathing. Like, how do they define originality? Because some people are like may define it one way and it may not hold much water. So I want to get your your take on that. How do you define
1: originality? So to me, originality is it is the seed it's exactly where some idea has has begun i think um originality at this point is very hard to come by and and nearly impossible um i think with the speed of the way information travels today um you're being influenced whether you like it or not whether you know it or not in a subconscious way um and most of your ideas are are not new um mm-hmm you know but uh but you you have to if you're bringing some sense of your true self to it your particular point of view um you know then it can be as original as you can make it you can you can at least feel good that you gave it your best shot even if somewhere out in the universe that idea has already existed so um you know when i think of originality i think of the origin story right it's it's really like you know it's page 1 um of of something of some idea um, and you don't really know how that story's going to end, but you know where it began. And that to me, that's that's the originality.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. And I'm I agree, you know, um, especially in, in this realm. It's like, you know, we talk about niche. We talk about what separates you aside. And it's the references. It's the uh, it's it's the things that you've learned or you've been influenced by. And what's your take on it, how you are going to approach it. So, you know, this this notion of doing the interviews with interesting people, you know, to to simplify whatever the thing is, as much as one can. It's just like other people have done that. Other people have done interviews. Other people have probably asked you questions that I've asked before or or have gotten a certain response from you that, you know, or that that has uh, relevance to the previous conversations. But it's maybe done in a in a different way or asked in a different way or maybe had you think about it in a different way. And there's originality in that. And oftentimes, you know, people get stuck and it's like, there's no original ideas. It's like, well, that's the point. Understand that. And then what's your take on it? What's your spin on it? Right. It's
1: (laughs) It's all about what your take is, what your take on it is like. I'm not the first or the hundredth guy to start a brewery, (laughs) but I am me from Baltimore who likes, you know, the Grateful Dead and, and uh, you know, all the, my life experiences that lead me into this project. I'm applying all of that, whether, Mm -hmm. you know, whether I'm doing it, you know, really obviously, or kind of on a subconscious level. So that, that, that has to be original in some way.
0: (laughs) And, And it's the, it's the best part when someone sees, a really goofy reference that you snuck in there that's baked into yeah. what your background is. Like, yeah. my, my girlfriend always jokes about, she was like, you always find a way to work RoboCop into a conversation. I was like, right. look, don't worry about that. Don't worry about <laughs> what, what I do and how I do it. Yeah. And <laughs> she was like, did you say dinner a you're coming with me? I was like, yes, I did. And it's not about that. <laughs> but when, when you do go really obscure, you, that's how you kind of find your people. You kind of find right. that tribe and those evangelists. Right. Yep, you got it. So let's talk about um, unlearning and reframing lessons. Um, you know, when you're in the cubicle, you know, you kind of pick up things. Um, when you're in, in school, you pick up things. But when you're out there having these lessons and these concepts that you may apply, it might be different in practice. So tell me about maybe something that comes to mind, whether it's something that you learned earlier in your career, something you learned maybe in school that, you know, you were told, this is the way that this works. And this is the way you have to do this. But when you got into your role now, you're like, no, nah, that's. Not how that works necessarily,
1: yeah, um, really provocative question. So, um, I think there's there's some things that apply like specifically to graphic design. Like when I was in this corporate role, um you know, there were very specific rules about what you could do with a logo and a layout and this and that. and and one of the things that I always wanted to do was to start my own thing so I could break all of those rules. so there's mm-hmm. so there's that. And then once you, the, the interesting thing is, once you break all those rules, you kind of realize why they were there in the first place, and then you want to put everything back together again. <laughs> At least that's that, that's that that yeah. was my experience. But the other thing is, like a specific sort of life lesson. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I was thinking about this question, is, um, I think growing up, I heard a lot. If you want something done right, you got to do it yourself. Mm. And uh, and I think that that lesson. Helped me take the leap and be brave enough to dive into this whole world. That, frankly, you know, for the first few years, you know, I felt like a complete imposter. I'm just, uh, you know, faking it till till you make it. But you, you just the passion was in the right place, and I I just had hoped that everything would work out. Um, but what I've realized over time is that if you want something done right, you got to find the right people. And it's really all about others. And it's really all about leveraging the talents of other people um, and stepping outside yourself and asking for help um, in order to really achieve the best results. And so, like, I know that after 10 years, union is what it is because of the people and the team that we have in place um, that do so much of the day to day heavy lifting and are so good at specific things um, that I'm not good at. And, like, if I had done those things, you know, we might not be as successful, you know, as we are. So uh, I think that I think that's an important lesson to to uh, to break.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, yeah, I think when you're in a, in a position of being a founder and having certain levels of responsibility, you know, I, I, I have a I have two people that kind of help me do this but a lot of it is on me but two people that help me do it I have a person that handles a lot of the admin stuff in the background and that was a recent edition and I have a um I have an editor that I, that I work with or what have you and you know doing this for 13 years you know not this podcast specifically but podcasting as a whole you know I was doing a lot of that stuff 100 on my own mm-hmm. but being able to articulate like what I need and when you know and, and bringing someone on it's just like all right on me to communicate this much right. more instead right. of holding on to everything because it's my baby and it's so close to me. It's like, no, no, no. Here, here, said, Here you go. You take yep. it. You got it.
1: <laughs> it takes time to develop that skill, even to just communicate your needs to someone else mm-hmm. when you're so used to doing it all yourself. You know? So I mentioned RoboCop earlier.
0: Yeah. Um, and I think of like Ed Newmyer, right? Tell me about any uncommon sources of, of, uh, of inspiration for you. Cause I get inspired hearing that story of he was tired of his job. He was bored about his job. And it was like, I'm writing verbal cop. You know, just and some of that stuff and how he feels about corporate America is baked into that story. So I see some inspiration in there and maybe different um, different uh, jobs that I've been in and nonprofits or even different conversations that I've had um, with in interviews that I'm like, "Mm, that's that's going to come in a script somewhere. So tell me about kind of uncommon sources of inspiration, whether it's in the graphic work, whether it's in the branding work or even some of the visionary stuff. And I don't think that was a weighted or heavy thing that you said earlier visionary that's that's important
1: so uh you know okay so there's so many like common areas uh, of inspiration from all all of the arts music visual design uh fine art um so many things that i and culinary the culinary world we get inspiration me particularly from so many of those places I, i i think one of the more uncommon areas is, so I'm a dad, right? So I have a, I have two daughters. Um, they are 11 and seven and, um, and watching them interact with the world is actually really inspiring to me. And I'm finding, I'm finding myself taking little nuggets of wisdom that they don't even know that they're providing me. Um, you know, the one thing is my kids, like, um, they will dive into anything, New, like they have no problem going from softball to gymnastics to a to a stage play to drum lessons to like literally just anything. They're always up for it. Uh, They give of themselves. um, They just seem to not have this fear. Uh, and, and all of these things that we sort of build on ourselves, these these walls that we put up, um, they're not too cool for anything. You know, it's like it, it's just uh, watching them be free with themselves and saying yes to opportunities and getting excited about new things. Um, you know, I, I get really inspired by them.
0: That's great. That's great. I I usually ask this question because I, I think um, I think children, young people kind of. They, they haven't been sullied yet. <laughs> when it comes to creating to create, they haven't been hit with whether it's an internal thing of or even some of that validation that comes in that brings out an ego or even with the whole rejection thing. It's a purity there of I'm just doing it. You know, yeah. this is this is the thing I'm interested in. Right. And there's so many parameters as you, you get older that it's like you can't do that. But I don't think kids run into that as right. much. Um, right. And in that way, because it's like you know, if you're like, Hey, you know, I want to start this clothing line, but it's like, you only do beer. So back to the beer, it's like, I can do all of it. You know, if I have the energy and the passion to do it.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean that, that reminds me of like going back to the sort of lessons thing. Um, you know, it's like, you get told a lot to like stay in your lane, right? Mm -hmm. Like you find, you got to like find your niche and you got to be kind of anything that's like rigid is only going to make a fool out of you later in life. I feel like down the line, anything you're like, you know, you really stand up for now. Like you're just sometimes it just doesn't apply necessarily, especially in business. Mm -hmm. Um, you got to remain adaptable. Um, you got to check yourself in your own ego and sort of, you know, you got to make sure that, whatever it is that you're standing up for right now isn't, isn't really just like a crutch that you're leaning on because you're afraid to do something else.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. I, I like to, I'm, I'm tinkering with this notion of my lane is as wide as I want it to be.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, so I got two more real questions Um, in terms of process. Like let's, let's go with, I think from, from the, um, the graphic side of things, mm-hmm. the visual, um, I think, you know, artists and people who are creating, you know, people love to see you share more and more of your process and that's where you kind of, like, Oh, this is how you'd use that or you use this as a, you know, like I'm using procreate or I'm using, you know whatever. How do you like determine what you're going to share about the process or even, even from the, actually from the entrepreneurial side of it, from the leadership side of it, when you're like doing interviews and things of that nature, how do you determine what you're going to share and what you're going to like, kind of leave out of the conversation? Because I think people take something out of that. Like when you're sharing something, it's like, oh, okay, that's cool. I can see that. I can see why they may have done that and so on. But sometimes it's almost like when you look at a painting, why did that person choose only that color? Right. Like, why are they setting in these different um, parameters and these different barriers for whatever reason? Tell me about that.
1: I think that it also a lot of that comes back to maybe ego as well. And that I think that, you know, if I was a perfectly realized person, I would I would share it all Uh, (laughs) that I would be completely transparent. Um, But I think that we put these little mechanisms and we. We don't want to share certain parts because uh, I think we feel, will feel embarrassed or, you know, like when I'm iterate, like, let's say I have to name a new beer, which I have to do constantly. <laughs> um, you know, I've been doing that for 11 years now. Like the well is starting to get kind of dry. You know, it's not, you know, I, I'm, that's why I'm always looking for inspiration from places. But um, I don't want to share the list of 25 things that I've come up with because, 20 of them are so dumb that like, <laughs> you, know, you know like you know I just like I don't want any everyone to see that or if I'm in an interview and I'm sharing about the company and the founding story and kind of what there you know there's some things that like we haven't fully realized about ourselves yet or that we haven't like even the infrastructure of the company it's like we want to be uh this great organization that has all our ducks in a row and we're not flying by the seat of our pants like we did the first few years Mm -hmm. but the reality rob is like we are flying by the seat of our pants a lot of times and like we don't have a perfect plan in place and there's some like you know there's some things behind the curtain that you don't want people to see that you're just pulling the levers you know um so uh, you know i think i think we I think you choose kind of based on a, a bit of self-protection.
0: Absolutely. And, yeah. you know, I think, you know, having your duck pens in a row is – i would have been stupid if I would have <laughs> just chimed in with that. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I think it's, it, its it's on two sides where, you know – you, at least I I think this, where you want people who are consuming, who are exposed to what you're doing, whatever it is you're putting out there, right? To have a sense of there's work that goes into it. I don't just, you know, shake my arms and then podcasts come out or what have you. But at the same time, you don't want to get into all of the nuts and bolts of it. So like, for instance, I had a sense of, all right, I'm going to do this many interviews. I'm going to interview these people. But I try not to really release too much up front because I want there to be some surprise. I want there to be some like, damn, how'd you get that interview? Yeah. And, you know, you want people to have some excitement around it. And I, I go back to, you know, this is music related, but I go back to a couple of years back, maybe 10 at this point, where I remember maybe Beyonce dropped like an album and it was like no promotional no press around it. And it was just like, it's going to do what it does without having this promotion or this extra layer of storytelling around it. Like, you know, as they say, dope sells itself.
1: Yeah, that's I mean, that that that's a good example. And there's lots of examples like that, you know, in starting union and so many people thinking that it was just sort of magic. I was working in the cubicle one day and then <laughs> the next day I had this fully realized company and and, uh, you know, there's so much that goes into it. And um you know, one of the things that uh, that I that I've read recently was a quote about, um, you know, it's like practice doesn't make perfect, but practice improves your luck. If something something like that, I'm mm-hmm. not saying you know it makes more luck. You know, like the better I get, the luckier I get. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you can never really remove this element of luck. Like union was uh, was a combination of timing and the right. You know the right elements, the right names, the right people, the right liquid. All of it had to come together. The city had to be ready to accept it, and you know all of these things. Um, Some in my control, some some not in my control. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, you know, so I definitely think that there's elements of luck in 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 all of this. You
0: know, yeah. And um, you know, one of the things in different cohorts and different groups that I've been a part of to try to grow and expand. You know, I always joke about it. I was like, I'm a podcast nerd. And I was like, I'm not a person that does this one, you know, once a month. I'm recording regularly and you're you're constantly doing it. So when those opportunities come, kind of, kind of touching on what you mentioned there, you're, you're ready for it. You're ready for that, that luck. You're ever prepared to, you know, operate when something is uncomfortable, when something is, you know, not quite there. Like, oh, this is not usually what I record. Well, I can record with something else. Yeah, I can do this. You know, degree of difficulty. This is this is guerrilla podcasting on a high level. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So this this is the last real question I got for you. So I read that um, we, we that often when we feel creatively stifled, we need to come out of our comfort zone. Um, some people add just different things to make it harder, so they can come up with new and uh, creative ways of approaching um, a particular project, uh, creative problem solving, if you will. So what is something that makes you uncomfortable in your day to day? How do you incorporate moments of uncomfortability in there to kind of like maybe move yourself out when you're feeling like creatively stifled?
1: I feel like creating tension often leads to better work. Um, and so for us, um, a lot of times, like if we're just, if we're just going through the motions internally for a project uh we end up in a very similar place that we've ended up before and i'm looking for you know originality like we talked about at the beginning um and if i bring in an outside person and a new illustrator uh or a new designer or we're working with a style of beer we've never worked with before and i don't really know how to describe it or what i'm tasting um all of these things lead to this tension that we have to push through. And so it's like,, um, you know, working with outside people or new things brings in really kind of distinct challenges. Um, and it makes me have to think outside of all of these brand things that I've established, like ten years of a brand. Mm-hmm. you've got you you kind of know where everything fits. and when you reach outside of that, And you go outside of the company, outside of our doors, outside of the things we're used to, um, then we're presented with these challenges that we have to push through. And when we do, we often have results that exceed our expectations.
0: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, Pressure makes diamonds, as it were. Exactly.
1: uh, (laughs) It's it's really true. It's really true. You know, it's funny because you mentioned the, the, uh, the anniversary party and the Not only is the anniversary party just like a super fun event, but Mm -hmm. the anniversary party creates a ton of tension, right? (laughs) Like it's a huge endeavor to put an event together for thousands of people. And it's on your property, in your building, with your staff and all of these, all of these pressures and responsibilities. Um, But to watch my whole staff work on it for 10 months and then all come together and push through. Everybody knows we're kind of like white knuckled the whole night. You know, we pushed through and like something like this year where it was just everything seemed so perfect. The weather held out. Yeah. Everyone was happy. Both our performers exceeded any expectations that we had for them. The beers were good. Just like everything went so well. There's just this feeling of elation from the teamwork and all the effort you put into it. Uh, You know, it really just feels so good. So, you know, if if everything were easy, everybody would do it, and then nothing would seem so special. You know, so yeah, uh, yeah. The sour looks like to notice the sweet, (laughs) right? Yeah, exactly.
0: So. I want to hit you with some rapid fire questions, real quick. I only got a couple of them. Uh, Nothing too crazy, and don't don't overthink them. Don't overthink them. I I, I think I need to add that in as like a soundbite because people just overthink them all the time.
1: Don't overthink. Don't overthink. Don't
0: overthink. (laughs) Um, Let's see. So. This one I'm very interested in. So, progressively, we're in a more and more digital world. Uh, what's something that, and I would imagine most of your work has that kind of digital component to it. What's a part of your your creative work or your 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 day to day that you you just don't see becoming digital you see just kind of staying analog is it you keep a notepad on you sketch and you're like oh okay this is what I'm going to do and I'm going to transfer this but it starts off in a notepad tell me about something that is always going to kind of be analog for you
1: uh, so yes i absolutely always keep a notepad i am constantly doodling i've been <laughs> doodling since i was 13, 12, I don't even know, since I was a kid, I'd always get in trouble for doodling in the margins at school. I never stopped doing that. It's really um, this like meditative form that just lets me start thinking about other things, but still keeping my brain occupied. And it's like the creative side of my brain. And so like, I will doodle and that will lead to me making a list of things that I need to work on, like, like naming beers or coming up with new projects, or sometimes I'm sketching really i'm not a great um illustrator i i can't really draw very well but i still do it and it really helps me get ideas out so that when i'm ready to approach the person who ultimately is going to make the beautiful execution that i'm looking for um i am straight with with how those ideas work in my head that kind of stuff will never be digital for me
0: yeah that's that's legit that's legit it's uh that's that's a question that kind of comes out of this uh this deep dive into like the austin cleon stuff and it's just like Yeah, I got to keep a notepad on me all the time because when I'm sometimes stuck on questions, I try to come up with something that's either interesting, provocative, or something that's going to make a person think. Yeah. And I don't want to just hey man, so what's your process? Tell me about the job. It's like who cares about that? Like, can you ask that in a different way? Can you get something more out of it? So, I think you know, having a walking practice and having like a notepad, I'm always observing things that are around, and sometimes you'll see something that's insightful. You're like, wow wow, I need to take that down. That's a good note.
1: Yeah. Quick second answer to that yeah. is, uh, is literature is books. Um, I like I have a Kindle mm-hmm. and and I will read on the Kindle because it's convenient when I'm like traveling or something, but there is nothing, nothing compares to, to turning pages in a book. Um, I, I really find that I have a harder, much harder time engaging with, with the written word, uh, on, you know, when it's not on paper.
0: That gives me another question. What was the last book you read?
1: Ooh. Um, the last book I read was called Damnation Spring. I'm looking at my bookshelf right now. <laughs> it was called it was called Damnation Spring. Uh it is by Ash Davidson. Um, it is a book about uh three generations of logging families in the California Redwoods and and how times have changed and uh, how, how much they relied on a job that was ultimately had, – had a very clear end to it. Okay.
0: So I, w- I want to ask you this one because we, we talk about uh, what people wear and like how that works. So what is the JV uniform? Tell me about it. Uh, like I noticed the hat. I have a thousand hats. You know, yeah. I'm always wearing hats somehow yeah. and I always have on Carhartt and Doc Martens. It's right. I'm working on myself. That's why I'm always wearing Carhartt. So um, tell, me, tell me what the uniform is. What's something that you always are wearing regardless of, you no. know, whether it's a color, whether it's an article of clothing, what's something you're always wearing?
1: Okay, there's a couple things. So um, I have a really thick head of hair that cannot be really tamed, except unless it's in a hat. So uh, there's there's about a week after I get a fresh haircut where I don't have to wear a hat. Otherwise, I am like always in a hat. And I wish I didn't have to, but it's been part of my uniform since I was <laughs> really young. So uh, definitely a hat. Uh, I am, uh, I love socks. So I'm always wearing some unique sock. I could wish <laughs> that I'm wearing Homer Simpson fading into the bushes right nice. now. Um, so I always have some cool socks on. Um, and uh, and I have a I have a special belt buckle that I'm often wearing with the uh, <laughs> it's got uh, the like the Grateful Dead lightning bolt on it. So I'm always wearing that. too. OK. Yeah,
0: yeah definitely the hair. I, I, when I was going through the deep dive of the research, I was like, this dude has to Michael Elias hair.
1: <laughs> I got some hair, man. It's, uh, <laughs> it's a blessing and a curse. Like uh.
0: Um. So. They, when, when people are creating, and I remember I asked this kind of question, I think, um, I think it was someone else in the past, but when when people are coming up with unique flavors and trying like different things, not everything works. Not everything is just like, eh. and sometimes it's like, you're going to hit a home run and you were like, I thought I was going to strike out here. Yeah. Was, was there a beer that you're like, I'm surprised it's this popular. This was not something that we thought we yeah. were going to come out with.
1: Yeah, there's actually a couple. Uh, but the, the first one. Um, And this is a story I'll often tell when I'm talking about the beginning of the brewery. Uh, Mm -hmm. So we make this beer in the summertime called Old Pro. Uh, Mm -hmm. Old Pro is a Goza, which is a – it used to be a very obscure German style of beer that's only made in one small part (laughs) of Germany and it's sour uh, or tart. It's hard to say that it's sour. Now they're sour but traditionally they're tart. and. And they're made with coriander and salt, and it's a light wheat beer, low ABV. And that was the third beer Union ever made. Um, And so imagine walking to a brand new brewery. You hear about it on the news or just the buzz is getting out that a new brewery is open. And this is like breweries aren't opening 10 (laughs) years ago like they're opening today. So a new brewery is kind of still a novelty for people in in the city. Uh, and they come down and we have a little tasting that you can do because even tap rooms weren't legal when we opened. So if you took a tour, you could get a few little tastes. And one of those tastes is Old Pro. So you get a pale ale, you know, that tastes like beer. You get a German brown beer, you know, that tastes like beer. But then you get a Goza, which you can't even pronounce. And then you, you taste it and it's tart. Um, I, I have never seen more disgusted faces <laughs> looking back at me um then when i was standing behind the bar trying to sample people on old pro uh, but, but then you start to you know people are like is there did this go bad did you just serve me something that's going to make me sick and you're like no 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 it's supposed to be like that um and uh you know you, you explain it and you do the best you can but we believed in that beer we just thought like this is something that people are going to really appreciate they just don't know it yet they just need more time with it and uh and fast forward a year and that beer was one of our biggest selling beers um i think it turned on a ton of people onto sour beer in general uh, and now 10 years later you will be hard pressed to find a brewery that doesn't make a goza uh or at least a sour beer of some sort um and i think uh i, I think a lot of that i think we were kind of really early um to that to that particular style so that i did not think was going to be <laughs> successful uh, ultimately, it was. Um, and we've had a few others like that where we just have created a weird flavor profile. Hey, uh, Steady Eddie IPA is mm-hmm. the number two selling beer at Oriole Park. <laughs> um, and when that beer debuted, it uses a really unique hop that very almost nobody uses called Srirachi Ace um, that has a kind of coconut, lemon, dill flavor to mm. it. Um, it can go in any of those directions, depending what day and how you're feeling. Um, and so when we first came out with that beer, I was head over heels for it. I <laughs> thought it was one of the most unique beers I had ever had, but there were some people who thought it tasted like suntan lotion or just thought it, <laughs> tasted, just thought it tasted disgusting, you know, in general. Um, but we stuck by that and, and look, it does help that, it, that we've partnered with Eddie Murray on it, uh, <laughs> who's, who's a Baltimore icon. Um, but, um but look, you can't sell that many beers if people don't like it, you know? True. So yeah. um, it's really become, it's got a real, a real following. People really love it. Um, I'm really proud of that one.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. So this is the last one I got for you. Um, maybe yeah, let's go with it. Let's go with a movie. Let's go with pop culture related here. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is something guaranteed to make you laugh from a kind of pop culture sort of sector here?
1: Uh, Will Farrell. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> guaranteed pretty much guaranteed to make me laugh Kate McKinnon gets me every time just when she shows up on screen I have to laugh Fred Armisen I absolutely love um yeah so I, I love com- I love comedy oh
0: yeah it, it's kind of embedded in some of the, the the references and some of the uh just just different things that I've kind of noticed I was like hmm this is what yeah. we're doing here I was like all right cool all right. yeah so that's pretty much it for this this conversation, this interview. I want to thank you for, for indulging me and uh, being on this podcast. And uh, I want to invite um, you to share with the fine folks where to check you out, um, where to check out Union, all of that good stuff. The floor is yours.
1: Oh, well, thank you so much. So yeah, so Uh, First of all, I invite everybody to come visit us. That is the true union experience. Um, 1700 West 41st Street and the Union Collective, which is this whole property that we've sort of created with all these other amazing businesses that you can visit. You can see the works. uh, You can see how these products are made right here in your hometown. Um, We have a ton of beers there, uh, lots of fun, great outdoor space. We do tons of concerts, um, lots of parties and fun events. We've got an Oktoberfest coming up um, at the end of the month. That is going to be killer with big steins of German style lagers, um, and so always look out for what Union does. Events are a big part of our marketing and um, something that we love to do to bring people together. Other than that, you know, you can find Union on all the social media outlets, uh, and uh, and that should be pretty self explanatory. Um, but uh, but yeah, we we really encourage you to come visit in person.
0: So there you have it, folks. I want to, again, thank John Zarevitz for coming on to the podcast. And I'm Rob Lee saying there's there's booze around. There's union. Beer unites. Beer brings people together. So, so pull up, guys. Uh, and, uh, yeah, that's it.